city news and theater facts Behind the scenes, behind the acts Interviews with artists and staff Will make you think and even laugh some weeks City Speaks City Speaks Hello and welcome back to City Speaks, a new play podcast coming at you from the south side of Pittsburgh. I'm your host, Montez Freeland, one of the co-artistic directors at City Theater, and I'll be taking you behind the scenes at City to explore the people, places, and stories that shape the plays on our stages. I have the good fortune today to chat with the co-dramaturgs of City Theater's current production of an untitled new play by Justin Timberlake, written by Matt Schatz and directed by Reginald L. Douglas, a co-production with the Pittsburgh CLO. Welcome our guests, Claire Drobot and Olivia O'Connor. Like, we can welcome them. We can welcome them. <laughs> thanks. Thanks, Montez. Hi, Montez. Yeah, listen to that applause. <laughs> Olivia, I'm going to start with you because you're a guest guest, so I'll give a little intro. Olivia, you are the current manager of new work development at the Pittsburgh CLO, but you have a little bit of a long history with City Theater as a former winner of our Young Playwrights (laughs) Festival contest, right? Yes, indeed. And that was my introduction to dramaturgy. Uh, I have to give huge props to City Theater's amazing Young Playwrights Festival which I first uh, had contact with, I think, in eighth grade, a million years ago, um, and a couple of festivals in high school as well. They paired us student writers with adult, real dramaturgs who were dramaturgs and often playwrights in their own right. Um, And that's when I realized I wanted to do this forever. Yes, that's beautiful. Welcome back to City Theater in this new way. And Claire is the current co-artistic director of City Theater, but has previously held the role of the literary manager for the company. Welcome, Claire. Is that right? That's the title? Yeah, yeah. D- director of New Play Development. Director of New... See, that's much better. You <laughs> take director when you're like, oh, oh, I have ambitions. <laughs> director of New Play Development. Yes. So that's what we're talking about. So most shows are lucky enough to get one dramaturg, but this show about a dramaturg has two of them. So I'm going to start off with a question that I'm sure you're tired of answering at Thanksgiving and Easter or whatever you celebrate with the family. But what is a dramaturg and how do you spell it? Oh, that's hard. Do you want to, you want to do, I feel like you should do the spelling. I'm going to spell it and Claire is going to define it. <laughs> dramaturg, D-R-A-M-A-T-U-R-G. No E. Agreed, no E. Typically no E. I always put E. No E. But then you'd be a dramaturg. Okay. Yeah. And it just sounds worse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no E. No E ever, right? I mean, people do spell yeah. it with an E. I, we don't spell it with an E. I think if you, ha- you spell the E, you have to add a British accent. Oh, the dramaturg. Dramaturg. Yeah, the bald. <laughs> yes, indeed. So what does a dramaturg do? I mean, I think that there, there are a lot of definitions for dramaturgy and, and what dramaturgs do. Um, but what I like to say is there's sort of the person who's in the room who makes sure the story that the playwright wants told is told. Also referred to as an in-house critic, um, often a, a, a research hound, um, sometimes a community engagement activator for civic dramaturgy. Um, but, but really, uh, it's, it's someone who's a playwright's best friend. Um, who works on a production um, to, to ask questions um, and, and pose challenges and help support a story making its way to the stage. All right. So, like, did you wake up when you were in the eighth grade and go, 
I want to be a dramaturg <laughs> without any, how do I get there? Like, what was your journey toward this? Uh, we heard a little bit of yours, Olivia. Yeah. But uh, Claire, you want to share what your journey was? Uh, I mean, I feel like it was it was sort of backwards. I didn't go to school for dramaturgy. Um, I went to school for creative writing and music composition um, and sort of realized later, like by my senior year in college, I was like, oh, I think what I really want to do is theater. But it's too late. I have these two other degrees. <laughs> and then uh, I was fortunate enough to get to intern um, at the McCarter Theater in Princeton, um, work with their literary manager at the time, Carrie Hughes, um, and a dramaturg named Janice Perrin, um, who uh, ran their literary department. And then I figured out what dramaturgy was, and I was like, that, I want to do that. Um, and and um, have, you know, kind of clawed my way into being able to do that. That's cool. That's cool. Olivia, I know you were the youngest dramaturg ever. So <laughs> <laughs> how was your journey toward uh, becoming a dramaturg? Uh, so after being introduced to dramaturgy through City and YPF, and I will say Carlin Aquiline, who uh, was Claire's predecessor in, in the new work world at City, as a student, I studied dramaturgy at Carnegie Mellon University. Claire's also an alum of CMU uh, with the amazing Wendy Ahrens. And uh, then was at Roundabout Theater Company in New York for several years, working uh, with Jill Raffson there and, and their amazing literary department. So really just um, kind of moving from the sort of research-heavy production dramaturgy that you tend to do a lot of in university, at least you mm -hmm. did at CMU yeah. at the time, into new play dramaturgy, which is the thing that I really love to do today. New mm. play and musical dramaturgy, I should say. Yeah, so there's a difference. There's mm -hmm. like, you know, I find that sometimes I walk into a process and the dramaturg, they come in the first day, they hand over the Bible, <laughs> <laughs> then they disappear. Like, and then there are other times when they are integral. I mean, they're always integral, but when they are intricate inside of the process mm -hmm. and really help to shape the piece, which do you prefer? Oh, hands down, Newark, Newark dramaturgy. Yeah. They, it's yeah. just, I mean, it's fun because you're a collaborator in the room. And I think often then, too, you're not only working with the playwright, you're working, you know, with a director, um, with designers. You know, you're helping to build a world. Mm -hmm. Same for you. Agreed. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I mean, sometimes research is, is really fun and, and can be, like you said, Montez, really integral to a production. And I love finding research that's super functional and creative and, and makes a difference in the rehearsal room. But at the end of the day, I'd always rather be sitting across from a living playwright. Absolutely. Mm. Nice, nice. So you mentioned your mentors. That actually was one of my questions. Oh, sorry. About that. <laughs> like, no, it's good. It's good. That means, you know, we're all on the same path. But I still have to ask it. Like, you know. So were there other mentors for you um, throughout your journey that really helped you and guided you to where you are now working together? Yeah, I mean, I feel like, and it, it's interesting too, kind of looking at Beth's trajectory because mm -hmm. there was a long line, I think, of, of women dramaturgs um, and, and artistic directors. Um, Emily Mann at McCarter and uh, Emily Morse, who was then the director of new play development, who I just like wanted to steal her title, and <laughs> um, who's now the artistic director at New Dramatists, which is an amazing home. They provide like residencies for seven-year residencies for playwrights, and that was really like grounding of of everything in the American theater. But yeah, there are a lot of I think strong women who who uh, I've had the good fortune to work under um, and just learn so much from. Yeah, and I already name-dropped a whole bunch of people. I, I gave shout-outs to Carlin and Wendy and Jill. I'll also uh, mention, because he's a, also a City Theater writer alum, Chris Diamond, um, a great musical theater writer, uh, was my first ever dramaturg in YPF. So uh, major props to Chris Diamond for being a great dramaturg. 
That's come so full circle too, because you are now a dramaturg often for our Young Playwrights Festival. Yes. So, so the, the circle of dramaturgy life continues. It's complete, yes. <laughs> like the person that wrote The Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> Who no one can name. If anyone no in the one. audience Nobody can knows. name. <laughs> so in, uh, that's a line from the hilarious musical, an untitled new play by Justin Timberlake, which is not by Justin Timberlake, but in this musical, Beth, uh, the main character, has a mantra, do good work, do good plays. Not every play is good work, but what I want to know is what has been some of the most important plays that you feel as though you've worked on? So hard. No. I feel like you, you stumped us. No, I mean, okay, uh, uh, I'll, I'll jump in and, and, and work my way into okay. finding an answer. Um, no, I mean, I think that there, there's so many plays that you've had a chance, I've had a chance to work on. I mean, from like the, the play, um, it was actually a production of Gem of the Ocean by August Wilson that was like mm. one of the first things I interned on at McCarter and just like fell in love with, with, with that play. And then I think the first play I officially dramaturged as a professional was a play um, called Cherry Smoke by Jim McManus, um, who actually just wrote The Rivers Don't Know, which is the production we did early on. So, I mean, I feel like those are a couple of the shows that were really in, influ like influential um, in, in kind of getting me into the world of theater, like theater as a profession and a career. Um, and then also a play uh, called Sex on Sunday by Chisa Hutchinson. That was like the first scrappy thing that I was ever kind of part of producing to and like using dramaturgy in a producing capacity. Um, so it's a very saucy play um, and she's just an amazing writer. Uh, so I feel like those are, those are three of the ones that like, yeah, they stand out and I'm most proud of. And then so many productions at City that I don't know, they're, they're, it's too hard to choose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you were very smart to not choose <laughs> a production in City. <laughs> People get mad. I know, exactly. Mad. They hear the podcast, you're like, you know what you said? Right. <laughs> Olivia, what about you? Um, I will shout out a, a musical that is still very much in process called These Girls Have Demons uh, by Megan Brown and Sarah Taylor Ellis. It's a, a show that's been in development at CLO for several years, and it's very near and dear to my heart because it came into us so early in its development. Uh, I think the first time that I got to know that show, it was a, maybe a paragraph pitch of, of the concept and one demo. And that was in 20, I don't know, like winter 2017, like January 2018 maybe. And in the time since, it has blossomed into this pretty fantastic musical um, about teenage girls possessed by demons. Uh, and it's about like female sexuality and it's about uh, the patriarchy and what it means to be a, a young woman coming of age. And it's a show that is still finding its feet and is still so much in development. And I've just had such a blast with those writers kind of discovering different iterations of the show. And what if this person dies and what if they don't? And, you know, let's spend three days in a residency talking about options that may never come to fruition, but that open up other things in the show. Um, so I love, I love and continue to love working on that show. Also, am I the worst if I say this show is one of my favorite shows? <laughs> no, I was hoping somebody <laughs> was going to say this. Because oh, this show is, um, uh, you know, it's the top of the list. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how often do you get to work on a show about a dramaturg. It's not even fair. With, it's not even a competition. Another, I mean, like, I should, I feel like there are a bunch of, like, sappy text messages between oh, so all of us. Like, A, when we started rehearsals, like, after the pandemic, because it was just like, oh, my God, this, it's actually going to happen. It's going to come to life. And then around opening night, when there were tears and hugs and yeah. all, all of those things. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the sweet stuff. But uh, let's talk about something else a little bit. 
We're going to come back to the sweet stuff, I promise. But part of being a dramatist, it's a hard job. I think that it's a very difficult job. I've had the privilege and pleasure to have both of you dramaturg plays that I've written. Yeah. But you both have a wonderful way of delivering the medicine. You know, the medicine <laughs> is in the form of notes <laughs> and saying, you know, you should change this. You should change that. You should do this. Uh, what is the best way to do that, do you think? Because that's very hard. A playwright spends a lot of time by mm. themselves incubating, working on a piece, and then the, you're sometimes the first person that gets to read their work. Mm -hmm. And then you have to tell them, this is what's not working. Yeah. So how do you navigate that? I think that um, for me, it's very much about honoring what is already there, like what mm -hmm. is inherent in what someone's already written. Um, I think that there's sometimes a misconception that dramaturgs are uh, editors or the people that come in to quote unquote fix the problems mm -hmm. of a play. And it's just not true. Um, it, it's all about, you know, really understanding the intention of a writer and helping them clarify what they are trying to do. So I, I think coming at it from that point of view of you've already got this and there are already elements of this in this, uh, in this play on this page. Uh, but how can I ask the questions to make it even stronger and to help you realize what you've already got there that's maybe not living in its fullest, most illuminated self quite yet? Uh, so that's always a lot of questions, hopefully more questions mm -hmm. than uh, prescriptive, here's what to do. Um, and I'll also say that, you know, I continue to write and that gives me a lot of empathy for what mm. I'm asking writers to do. And I know Claire writes as well. Because um, when you remember what it's like after you've had a note session to go home and face that Word document or that final draft document, mm -hmm. it makes you approach it a little differently. I mean, I think it's also interesting that it's different for every relationship you have, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I think uh, if you think of a dramaturg as a teammate, right? Like different... Uh, uh, I'm going to use a hockey metaphor, right? <laughs> so we love hockey. Do it. There's a whole like we collection of like you. Huh? No, no one else. <laughs> There's a whole collection of dramaturgs who love hockey. Um, uh, it's it's a small weird subset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there, <laughs> the, the, we exist. Um, but no, right? You have like different line combinations, right? And the way you pass to one player might be different because you're kind of um, helping to highlight a skill set, or you realize that they receive. Um, notes um, in, in, in a different way. And so you kind of also get the joy of every time you walk into a dramaturgy room, whether it's with a director or with a playwright, um, you're getting to reinvent your role and learn a new relationship and a new vocabulary. So I think that, that yeah, I mean, it's all about what does the writer need, you know? What does is, what is your collaborator need at that moment? And sometimes it's also like learning to be like, I wanna hold this note back. Like, mm -hmm. you're, not, you're not ready for this or like you're also not in the mood for this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And also when someone's like, no, you're like, all right, cool, 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 cool. I mean, I you think know, sometimes Claire and I will be like, oh, you know, Matt's like sending us like the okay period text. Yeah. And it's like, all right, all right, we're, yeah. we're done for today, you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, I think also at a certain point in time, and Matt would, I think, freely say this, yeah. Like he was like, I'm done writing. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> He's just like, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You do have to put it down to see what actually is on the page. And you can't do that if you're constantly tweaking and changing. And I've I've been in shows where it's like, we're getting new pages every day, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's important that you have someone there to kind of temper that. Because I imagine you probably have to tell some playwrights to stop writing. Oh, 100%. Mm -hmm. You're just like, I'm going to take away that laptop. <laughs> <laughs> I just had this conversation the other day about taking away laptops from playwrights. <laughs> yes. So um, so this play is a play about 
a dramaturg. So how was it to, you know, you have to do your research, you have to get into it, but part of the research is yourself to a mm-hmm. degree. What kind of introspection did it take? And was it weird kind of seeing someone so close to what you do and that you had a hand on it, like played out? Oh, two two thoughts on that. One, and this is no longer in the script anymore, but Matt asked both of us to send him, I think he did this with a couple of other people who work in the literary world, to send him our definitions of like what a dramaturg is. And so there used to be something that Beth shared that mm-hmm. had like little bits and pieces of that. So I think that like, yeah, you see yourself. I think the other thing is, is that everyone walks up to you after the show and be like, I feel like I have so much more insight into your life. And you're like, no, 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 that's not me. That's not me. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know if you've, if you've, I feel like you've had that experience too. Oh, absolutely. And also like sometimes I am like, yeah, sometimes it's a little too real. You know, I mean, the, the frustration. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it is. It's, and I think that everyone who works in theater, right, uh, has has worked with some of these power dynamics and and worked with the frustration of um, wanting to be the decision maker, but then when you're handed those reins, feeling inadequate or doing the wrong thing and messing up. Mm. And I feel like that's what I love so much about Beth's journey. And what I mean, I will say, I think that one thing that is really amazing that came out of the many years of development on this show is that Beth uh, quits in this mm-hmm. iteration of the show, um, which I think is something that, like living the dramaturgy life, is something that we certainly advocated for. Of like, what is the decision that she comes to? Mm-hmm. What what is the what are the repercussions uh, for her actions and for what she realizes? And um, you know. I think we all come into this business very idealistic and uh, that's challenged in many, many ways. And so that line when Todd Michael says to Beth, um, you know, lately I've been seeing myself in you, Beth. It gives me chills. Like, it gives me chills. It, it, it gets me right in the gut because I think that that's a moment that I've certainly had. Uh, the feeling you're becoming something you don't like. That's a little dark, but uh, that's, okay. that's true. It went, that's it went okay. real. It was real. This is good. This is like a, it's a dramaturgy therapy session. Thank you all for it. Right. You know, but I do appreciate that the play does show the realistic uh, ramifications of communicating through art mm-hmm. and communicating through someone else's art and sometimes giving them a misstep that can kind of unravel their process a bit. But that's how we grow. That's mm-hmm. how we learn to not do that, you yeah. know, in the future. So. Yeah. That, you know, these cautionary tales, I think, are necessary in the American (laughs) theater for sure. So, I mean, I'm pretty sure that you all read a lot. So, I mean, I'm sure you read a lot. (laughs) No, because I give you reading assignments. (laughs) No, I'm not going to give you a reading assignment. (laughs) I have a book I love (laughs) that I want to turn into a play. No. Um, But, like, what excites you as a reader when you say, not just plays, but, like, story? What type of stories excite you? Mm. I mean, I, I think this is something because I feel like it's a question I ask all the time as a, like, to the point where playwrights get, I got sick, it from get you. sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I mean, but like, I, I ask this, like, the things I love in stories are when you see a world fully realized. And there's so many different ways in which you can do that. But when you get subsumed and you, I mean, forget you're reading a play or forget you're reading a book and you're just so invested in these characters' lives or, or what's going on in the plot and you can't put it down. Like, I think of, of, you know, probably some of my earliest, like, favorite literary memories are, like, the book that you you can't put down. You're, like, sitting up at 3 a.m. with a flashlight and your parents are yelling at you to, like, <laughs> turn out the light. Like, I think those are those are the stories, you know, that that that, that open up something for me and, and you just kind of get transported. 
Um, and that doesn't mean that they're fantasy. They can be very real worlds, and they can be, you know, it can be nonfiction. It can be, it can be, um, you know, a biography or an autobiography. But um, I think that's that's what, what I don't know. I feel like is the touchstone for me. Nice. nice. Yeah. Olivia. That's a great answer. I mean, I I agree with you, Claire, that the the world feeling true to itself is the the number one most important thing, and I think that comes back to intention for sure. You know, what is this playwright intend, and are they doing it? I think maybe um, because Claire gave that that wonderful answer, I'll, I'll say something more like minuscule, which is unpredictability. I mean, mm-hmm. I think there's something so exciting about reading a, a story, reading a play, and not knowing where it's going to go and having a moment of surprise. Um, that's a rare thing, especially when you do read a lot, you know, and you've seen kind of these journeys and the shape that journeys take. And so being surprised when I'm reading something is, is always one of the most exciting things. So I think that's wonderful. But how many pages does it take for you to know, like, I'm done? <laughs> <laughs> I'm done with this one. Oh, this is, this is a, that's a rough question. I don't know. I'm going to plead the fifth. Okay. All right. All right. You're loud. You're loud. Is this yours too? <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, I, mo- 99% of the time I, I read an entire play. Um, wow. I will say, but listen, Claire probably reads a lot more plays than I, so yeah. I'm gonna, you know, uh, <laughs> but, um, I don't, I, yeah, that's what, that's all I'll say. Most of the time I'm reading the whole play. I'm not going to say how often, when, when you have a feeling. Even the stage the directions? One. Sometimes the stage directions are the clue that it's not <laughs> the one montage. So yeah, yeah, I read all the stage directions. <laughs> it also depends on what you're reading for. Like I have yes. a stack of, I have a stack of plays. This is so like guilty literary manager thing of like, <laughs> I know I can't read this now because, you know, X, Y, and Z reasons where, like, we'll never be able to program it. But, mm. like, I have it for, like, when I was just, I want to read a play, you know? Um, so I think that, that sometimes, too, like, you know, when you're reading with a producing hat, there are just certain things that you're looking for that you know fit into season totally. programming and yeah. stuff like that. And so sometimes you save a play for, for a rainy day mm-hmm. or a day when, you know, you have unlimited cast members. Yeah, mm. yeah. And I will say, like, when you read a play all the way through, when you do have that rainy day, you usually learn something from it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, even even if it's not the right play, um, I do try to maintain that that awareness of, like, how much someone put into this and to read with that spirit of generosity, you know, that, like, this was a lot of work and someone put themselves on the line to submit this. And so... Um, yeah, even if it's not the one, usually it's worth it to, to get to know yeah, what you they're should, putting out there. Anyone who's writing, you should celebrate. You know, it, it takes a lot. As, as, a, as a playwright, just getting to the end takes mm-hmm. so much effort, and you put your heart and soul into that, you know, and there's always a home for it. You just have to find the right one. Mm-hmm. These are wonderful, wonderful answers because, and truths because I think it deters a lot of people from taking that step to employ and use a dramaturg. They're like, mm. no, I've got this. I'm going to do this on my own because mm. they worry that someone's not going to give it that respect and that reverence that it deserves because it is a hard feat mm-hmm. to do so. Because most people write from personal experiences, oh, yeah. you know, and you're giving it over to someone else to assist you with that. So I'm glad that I know people who read the whole play. <laughs> so that's really good to know. Um, so uh, what's your favorite part of the process when it comes to being a dramaturg? What, what do you look forward to inside of the process the most? I feel like there are two parts. Like one, I, I feel like I would be a bad dramaturg if I didn't love table work, and I do. Yeah. Like that kind of the first read, and then when you're sitting around talking through ideas and themes, you can do too much table work, it's totally possible. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I think there's just something magical about that. And that's also like sort of when a dramaturg gets to 
you know, I don't know, like it's, it's, a, it's an important part of the process. And then I think, you know, the other thing is, and this happened for this show, is when there's something and you, you all, like as a team, you can't quite put your finger on it. And then, you know, you get to put in something new. Sometimes that happens in rehearsal. In this case, there was a song that was added um, after our third preview where it was like, there's just, there's this moment and we can't figure it out. And then we added it and it was just like, it, it actually, it solved all these things. I think some of them we didn't even know needed to be solved. Mm -hmm. And that's like magical when you're like, I don't know, but it's Beth's monologue of like, mm -hmm. you, you do this thing and you realize that like, oh, I was part of the journey of, sha mm -hmm. of shaping this. It's really beautiful. Yeah, that was magic, that, putting mm -hmm. that song in. That, yeah. was, that was pretty magical. We have to guess which one it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, I think one of the things that I sometimes have to uh, remind myself, and I always rediscover that it's my favorite part, is like sometimes you get so caught up in thinking about like, how can I help, right? Like, how can I make this clearer? How can I ask the right question? Like, how can I convey this note in the right way? And we still have so far to go and da 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 And sometimes just like asking the playwright a question and listening to their answer is the most satisfying thing because usually the answer is already in there, you know? And, and you don't actually have to be the smartest person in the room. <laughs> you know, you don't have to solve it because like the playwright already knows. Um, and so those conversations, I think, are, I mean, that takes me back to what got me into dramaturgy, right? It's just talking with a playwright about their work uh, is so, so satisfying. Awesome. Awesome. Now, I, I have, like, some rapid-fire questions. <laughs> but before we get to that, I just want to ask, what advice would you give to someone who is sitting, you know, in school or maybe not in school to uh, who wants to go down this journey? What would you say is, you know, some things to keep in mind and to keep in your heart? Mm, I mean, I, the, the obvious piece of advice maybe is to read a lot of plays um, and not just plays either too, right? Like to read novels and to listen to podcasts and to watch long form TV shows because the amount of times that um, I recognize story devices in other mediums that it unlock things in the theater world yeah. uh, is kind of amazing. And so really just embracing story on all fronts and, and kind of unpacking how it works and what do you respond to and what works and what doesn't. Sometimes watching things that are really bad is like the best, and clarifying, you know, writing down for yourself why or hashing out with somebody why is the best way to understand what makes something else really great. Um, because sometimes it's really hard to quantify, like really hard to articulate what makes something great, but you can talk for 20 minutes about why that didn't work. Um, so getting good at articulating both of those things. Is, is a good thing to do. That's, I mean, yeah, I think, I mean, doubling down on, on read, read and see as much as you can and also live. Um, I think, I think sometimes in theater, especially if you go through a conservatory program, you're sort of put in like a hermetically sealed theater box. You also need life experience mm -hmm. to, to, to be able to give notes, to be able to understand where characters are coming from. Um, and I think the other thing I have is like, you also just need to do it. You need to do the thing. Mm -hmm. So find collaborators. You know, find a playwright who wants their script read, and there are lots of them. Um, you know, and 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 work on on sharing notes, sharing thoughts, and doing it. Um, you know, always from a generous place. You know, I don't think I've ever intentionally given someone bad notes. There's also there's a whole like line and like uh, storyline in Smash that like drove me insane oh, about God. its portrayal of dramaturgy. Well, the that dramaturg in Smash also had a lake house, so I just oh. I, I, I have a lot of questions. The, the fanciest dramaturg, <laughs> but okay, tangential. But like no, I mean like you have to you you know kind of come come and approach it with an open heart too. 
Yes, awesome. I've loved this conversation. I mean, I get to pick y'all brains all the time, but I'm really excited for our listeners to get to know this and hopefully be inspired to, you know, push someone that you may know who has these qualities to go into this uh, trade, trade, art form, <laughs> line of work. All of them. Yeah. All of them. So, all right, I got some rapid fire questions for you. They're going to come quick. The lightning oh, round. Okay, it's okay. a lightning round. Okay. Favorite Justin Timberlake song? <gasps> Go. Oh God, I don't know any other titles. Cry me a river. I think cry me a river. Yeah. Um, what was the one that Craig sent us? I can't. I can't remember the title. Oh. Oh Montez, I can't. I. I'm not going <laughs> to sing it for you. Just. It's, just know that I love JT. I'm just going to say sexy because <laughs> I can't think of the title of the one that I that I want to say. Okay. All right. All right. All right. If you could work with one playwright, dead or alive, who would it be? Think Chekhov. I know. It's so like, I feel like it's so trying to. No one's judging you. No one's judging you. you I feel like it's a basic choice, but I would. I would would love to like drink vodka and argue with Anton Chekhov. (laughs) You want to argue with him. You don't want to work with him. That's that's part of the dramaturgy process. Um, I would I would want to work with Tony Kushner, although I don't know how much I could bring oh, to the table. That was mine. <laughs> yes, that's mine too. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. All right, last question: What's one thing you admire about one another? <laughs> I admire the care with which Claire communicates. I think that um, Claire is a really good reader of the room, and um, she thinks very deeply about how what she says is going to be received, and I think that is such an important quality in a dramaturg. God. Oh, you're going to make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I feel like there are they're two things for you, and they kind of go hand in hand. Um, but but one is is your passion. Like I feel like there are times when like it it'll be you know a, a comma or a small world, but that actually like re, no really like changes the way a line is received, um, and it ties to that you're so fiercely intelligent that mm-hmm. you can articulate exactly why the the this this you know um, moment is changing a scene and how it's shaping um, Beth's journey and kind of the all of the layers beneath it. Um, and so it's just inspiring to, to get to, to share a dramaturgy hat with you. Thanks, Claire. Yes. Well, I am so, yes, give a round of applause. Absolutely. Well, I'm so grateful to spend this time with you and to learn from you both every day. <laughs> so, um, I appreciate it. And, uh, folks, if you're out there, I just ask you to go out and support theater. There are a lot of people who are behind the scenes, who you will never meet, who you'll never see. You have to dig to the back of the program to see their names sometimes. <laughs> but they are so vital, so important, and so necessary for the growth of new work, but also for the growth of artists all around the world. So thank you both for being here today and for being part of this conversation. Thanks, and Montez. Thank you, Montez. Yes, and thank you for listening. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But <laughs> thank you all for listening to City Speaks.